You're listening to Got Tech, the podcast with your hosts, Eric Geis and Nick Johnson. Welcome back, everyone, to Got Tech, the podcast. This is episode eight called Google Docs, Augmented Reality and Virtual Reality, Oh My. In this episode, we'll square off, each sharing three ways we've used Google Docs over the past year. We'll compare and contrast the use of augmented reality and virtual reality technologies in education. I'll also challenge guys to a game of two truths and a lie with weird educational research news. Finally, we close the show with another tech battle royale. So over the course of the last two weeks, I've done a lot of talking with teachers to see how they are using Google Docs in their everyday classroom. And some of the teachers had very similar ideas, and some of the teachers used it as a substitution for other ways of pushing worksheets out and things like that. But I did come across some interesting ones, and then I also have a couple of interesting ones that I feel like I can bring to the table because I've used before. So what I would like to do today is uh, go over some Google Doc applications. How do we use Google Docs in the classroom and really make the classroom be exemplified, be, you know, make it different so the students feel like they're doing something different in the classroom. Right, because if you're just using a Google Doc to substitute for a worksheet that you used to do on paper, it's not really accomplishing or changing anything. Actually, it's probably maybe more work for you, more work for the students, and a little bit less convenient. We want to focus on using Google Docs for new and exciting things, like you said, that make the students' experience in the classroom different and unique and bring something new to the table. Yeah, so some of these things uh, are, are things that we've might have mentioned in the past that we're just going to brush up on but we won't spend a lot of time on but need to be included with the google docs conversation and then other ones are totally new based on either other teacher stories or personal stories that we might not have shared yet so nick why don't you go ahead and go first on this one sure so most recently in my some of my chemistry classes i've been trying to use hyperdocs which we've talked about in a recent episode if you're new to the podcast or if you're new to hyperdocs a really quick description about about what those are. Um, it's just a Google Doc, really. That's all it is. It's not some special app or special extension you have to download. It's literally just a Google Doc. What makes it technically considered a hyperdoc is that you create the Google Doc as the source of a series of learning tasks that contain links, hyperlinks. That's where the term hyperdoc comes from. Hyperlinks that the students click on that take them to different sources of content, different places where they learn things, different places where they have uh, a variety of learning experiences, uh, quizzes, videos, games, all kinds of different stuff, all linking back to that one original hyperdoc. And I've found these to be really transformative because the document contains the links, it does something that not a regular paper worksheet can do. And um, I, ha- I have to interrupt because, sure. you know, Nick over here is a crazy cat and he always hates when I point out good things that he he does in the classroom, but he totally made a whole unit at the end of this year based off of Google Docs. So each day they would come in, they would be working on a new lesson. It was based on a hyperdoc. 
Right. And they would go at it and they loved it. Yeah. The whole, the whole unit, I didn't, it was strange for me because I didn't teach, I didn't get up and really say anything for like two weeks at all. It was just the students come into class. I tell them, okay, today you're working on 11.3, that hyperdoc, they pull it up. And I just sat down and started to watch and monitor what they were doing through the computer. It was, it was interesting. We definitely made a couple of mistakes along the way just with implementation, but I think it was really good. It was a really good experience for the students. It was definitely different for them. The HyperDoc experiment for me worked out really well, and it's definitely something I'll be trying again soon. Yeah, so just real quick, I want to ask you, because I wasn't actually there to, to witness the whole thing. I, right. did, I did stop by, and I was kind of looking at the students, and I, a couple of times I went in there, and I realized that you were working with a couple of small groups. Right. Do you think that's more advantageous than uh, the whole group lecture experience? Yeah, well, that was the best part about it. it There's a couple moments, uh, just a few days out of the whole unit where it was really firing off the way I would want it to. And just to look around the room as the teacher, there was multiple small groups of students all working on different things. I had two groups in the back of the room working on a lab experiment. I had two groups up in the front of the room working on the analysis of that lab experiment that they had already completed. And I had another small group of students up at the front of the, the way front of the room with me getting extra help because they were struggling for whatever reason and uh, I just thought to myself that this is kind of how it, sh- it should work this is how we should be using technology to help run a classroom with these small groups and really uh, as a teacher getting to focus on the students that need help and letting the ones that don't really kind of fly through and get to some bigger and better things I kind of feel like if we had one of those big stamps that loan officers have that said approved right we would have a big stamp that said "Got teched, right. approved," and I would I would definitely use that for the hyperdocs That'd be unit it. that you just came up with. I want to go into something that I've tried with a couple other teachers here, and that is choice boards. So basically, picture a nine-cell table, and each one of those cells, I put a well. The teacher and I that I'm working with, we put an option. And we would say Google presentation. And then they would click on that if they liked that option. And it would come up and give them all the different requirements, the rubric that goes with the Google presentation based on the content. Oh, cool. And they they could choose that. And then maybe another option is they do a, a live video or a newscast. And they would click on that link and that would all, technically, this is really a hyperdoc, but it's a choice board because right. throughout the whole unit, they were given a whole bunch of formative assessments. You know, Google forms quizzes, they watch videos, took notes, guided notes. They did discussion questions, open-ended discussion questions. Uh, they wrote in journals, things like that. They had all these little formative assessments. And then we followed it up with the summative assessment, which was based on this choice board. So they had nine different options. They could make a video. One group did a podcast, which was pretty cool. Oh, wow. That's awesome. So I sat down with them for two days, and we kind of went over what they needed, and they did it, and they, they made a podcast. So out of the nine things, did they, the students just pick one, or do you have to do two out of the nine? How does it have for this one, it's one summative activity at the mm. end, just proving that they met all the different standards that the teacher laid out. And, okay. it, and it was in a rubric. All right. So they had to make sure that they met all those requirements. If they met all those requirements and they met the, the level that the teacher assigned to them, they did fairly well. Okay. And they had artifact to show that they've learned 
or met each one of those standards based on their uh, social studies. And do you just set that up with like standards. a general general table? Like when you're in the Google Doc, go to the insert tab and scroll down to table and there you go. So what I did is I took a picture off the internet yeah. in one of the uh, collective forums. I took that picture and I made that my border of a of the Google form. Mm, okay. And then I put the table on the inside, whitened out the black background, and then I had those options in there with the links. Cool. And between the teacher and I, we came up with, most of the time, the rubric met the requirements uh, for that grid yeah. in each one. So it, we didn't have to recreate the rubric because it's based on content. Uh, there was one small section that the teacher wanted to add that said, you know, that was specific to the presentations. And those look different depending whether you did a presentation, a podcast, or That's or nice. That's nice to know because you do have to come up with a bunch of different ideas, but it's all it's all just one rubric because it's all content-based anyway. So you show what you know in a variety of these different yeah, and if you have the presentation rubric, you could use this choice board over and over and over again. Right. And you could tell the students that, hey, you used podcast the last time. Maybe the next time they have to choose something else. Yeah. And it could be individual specific. It could be group specific. It, it doesn't matter. But, you know, that's just another use of a Google Doc. It's definitely transformative because of the sure. links. Uh, it's it's also game-like. I mean, students yeah. students really like this stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's like a worksheet that's, uh, it kind of always makes me think of Harry Potter. I don't know if you ever watched any of the Harry Potter movies. I know your kids are probably too young for that yet, but they have, in, in Harry Potter, there's all like the, the, in the newspapers, all the pictures and stuff, they move. Things don't move yet, at least in Google Docs, but it's kind of like that, where it's a worksheet, but you can do stuff with it and in it and click on things, and that's, it just kind of makes it come alive a little bit. So I mentioned it was kind of game-like. Right. Your next one's kind of game like. Yeah. Um, well, we we we've talked about this one before too. We started a game, kind of modeled after the TV game show The Amazing Race, where teams of two travel around the world. They complete different challenges. We developed a classroom game where students navigate. Obviously, we can't travel around the world, but through a series of different subpages hidden subpages on a Google site. So like one subpage might be, okay, you're in North America. And the next subpage, once they find the proper clues and go through the proper steps, hey, now you're in Southern Europe. I'm just kind of mimic that uh, traveling element a little bit. They sort of navigate and complete these different challenges like they do in the TV show, The Amazing Race. But the issue I had was kind of keeping track of all the work the students were doing in the challenges within each of my stages, within each of my uh, Google site subpages. So what we came up with was just having them use Google Docs as a way to keep a record of what they had done. Because I'm trying to watch everybody, make sure they're doing the proper things. I'm keeping time. A lot of the challenges they have to do are timed. So I kind of let Google Docs do the hard work uh, for me. So when they go to one of the challenges, they are responsible for keeping track of everything they do. So I can focus on the administration of the game. Um, and usually I just do that by having them enter all the all the work they do, if they record a video, they have to include a link for the video in a Google Doc. Um, and I actually stole one of your tricks, which is one of the greatest things that anyone has ever shown me, which is a force copy. Is that what you call that? Yeah, it's a force copy. And we actually have a blog on our website um, that goes over the force copy or the preview template. Right. I like the preview template because it allows the students to get a preview of the doc and they can actually see it on their screen and then they can make the decision whether or not to make a copy to put into their okay. Google Drive where if you force a copy, they click on it, it's in their Google Drive until they delete it. So yeah, that's, that's I'm glad you brought that up. Check out gottech.com, our blog page to see a detailed description of that. But really quick, when you open a Google Doc, because it's web-based, 
every Google Doc has a unique URL, like a, a website address. And at the end of all those is a, a backslash in the word edit. That's what ends every single Google Doc is backslash edit. If you highlight just the word edit and delete it and type in the word copy or type in the word, is it preview template? Is that the other P one? Preview backslash template. Preview backslash template. When it, when someone else opens that same Google Doc with the modified URL, it forces them to make a copy. So they don't have the, act, the option to all be editing the same one document. kind of forces them to make their own copy. Um, if you give it a try, kind of test it out with yourself, you'll see exactly what we're talking about. Or like I said, just check out the blog uh, post on that. But it's really cool and it made it super easy because all they do is click the link. And because I edited the URL, it forces them to make a copy. So everybody's got their own document now where they keep track of the work they they have done and it uh, just makes it so easy for them to keep track of everything and then submit that work to me when they're finished yeah the amazing race activity was very fun for the kids they and, love it they're finishing it's right fun now. it's fun for me too because some of the challenges they have to stop over to me and perform a rap or right. uh some type of activity and a lot of them are out of their comfort zone which makes me happy because uh they're they're awkward yeah they, the best they, part. they really are but they're <laughs> yeah. growing from it because you, you are challenging to go outside of their comfort zone yeah well and it's it's taking place in a chemistry class but i'm having them you know make sculptures and then we're going outside and they're doing more like athletic theme stuff so everybody gets to shine with what they're good at everyone gets put out of their comfort zone but it's all still connected to showing or demonstrating the knowledge and skills they have in chemistry so it's been really great and google docs has been a good part of that all right so my next one i'll just hop right into it is a bingo board and, and basically i put restrictions on them of how they can win bingo either they have to go diagonal right or they have to go top to bottom okay I do not allow them to go horizontal. Is the bingo board on the Google Doc? Yep, it's okay. on the Google Doc. And uh, so basically what I do is I make five activities up at the top that are kind of intro activities. Watch this video, watch this resource, or okay. read these notes, or if they want to... So there could be a video that explains the same thing. There could be maybe a section of a ebook sure. that they can reference. And I make five activities across the top like that, and they get to choose which one that they have to do. Okay. And then they have to go to the next level, and maybe that's a quiz based on what they learned in the previous one. Or maybe it's a journal entry. Got it and so forth the whole way down. So each level is kind of the next step, the next step, the next step, but I give them five options. Right. And some of the stuff takes two minutes to do. Once you get to the bottom, it's more of the formative assessment type gig where I could take those activities if I just want to change it up a little bit from the choice board and I could put that as the final row. Or if it's all just formative assessment, that's great too. One of the cool things about all of this as you're talking, I'm kind of realizing that all of these, these are all kinds of different versions of the same thing. And once you start playing around with Google Docs and realizing what you can do, uh, the possibilities are endless. If you're making a hyper doc that might have, it might have part of what we referred to as a choice board in it. It might have a bingo board in there. So all these things we're mentioning, you can mix and match, combine them. Really, we're all just, we're just talking about these, these linkable document that accepts hyperlinks that can be used in so many different creative ways. It's cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's it's all active learning. It's getting students up and moving. And right. that was one of the first things I learned when I was in, in college. Right. Get your students up and moving. They shouldn't be sitting for more than one minute per grade level. So if they're in 10th grade, including kindergarten, they shouldn't yeah. be 
sitting in their seats for more than 11 minutes. Otherwise, you're going to lose kids. So right. active learning gets them up, gets them moving, gets them using different parts of their brain. Yep. Uh, all good stuff. So we'll be very brief on the last two because I do want to get to them. Yeah, because these I are... Think it's, I think it's important, but... Yeah, and they're pretty simple. My la- The last uh, one I'm going to bring to the table is uh, I call them collaborative stories. I have a feeling a lot of different teachers are doing the same thing under different names. Really what it is, I have the, the beginning of a story uh, typed into a Google Doc, and I share it with a group of students, sometimes the whole class, depending what I want to do. And they have to add to or type in the next piece of the story, and they're allowed to edit only one piece of what I typed in as like sort of the starter to the whole thing. Um, when we're learning about water and, and the properties of water in my chemistry class, I, I have a little story about Wally, the water molecule, and, and what he, sort of like a metaphor, like Wally's a person, he's in school, he leaves school, blah, blah, blah. And um, the things that Wally does in the story is supposed to mimic what water molecules do, how they interact with other water molecules and other particles. Um, the point is just to be a little creative. But in the collaborative story, because it's a Google Doc and multiple people can edit it, um, with within my guidelines of, okay, type your paragraph, and then the next person adds on to that and types their paragraph. And then the next person you share it to adds on to that and types their paragraph. By the time it circulates around the whole room, you've got this weird, crazy, creative story. A lot of times it's funny to read because the kids know we're going to read it out loud, so they try and be goofy with it. But they're also tying in some of the you know important things about learning what, what, how water molecules behave and interact with each other. So that's kind of an interesting way to use a, a shareable document. I feel like this would be a great activity at the beginning of the year. Well, it could be either yeah. great or terrible. <laughs> right. Great because you could see each student's personality shine through this activity. Terrible yeah. if you have a whole bunch of shy kids True. in there. True. Be very dull and boring. So I feel like that's a great one. We're going to give you the old got tech stamp of approval there. There we go. What do you got for your last one? My last one, I used to teach bioethics. One of my favorite classes. I started it here, I want to believe, in 2007, 2008. We would talk about environmental ethics. We would talk about uh, some heavier topics such yeah. as capital punishment, abortion, euthanasia, uh, all those topics. In the environmental section, I a lot of times we got out of hand in our debates. We would set these rules, but because kids are so passionate about things, they would start arguing. And I like organized chaos, but sometimes I'm just like, all right, we need to take this down a level, but how can we still get as passionate, but take it down a level? Right. Well, what I did is I would share a Google Doc with two people. I would choose those two people. I would be like, you guys are doing fracking. Okay, so they're doing natural gas drilling. And what they have to do is they have to research natural gas drilling pro side and con side. And they won't know which side they're debating until right before the debate. So they need to be fully prepared. Right. If a student knows both sides of the debate, they'll be able to argue or debate for each side. And they will fully grasp that that topic. True. So I would do, usually I had 24 kids, 24 students in the bioethics class. I would have 12 different topics, environmental ethics. And then what I would do is I would share, they would find out who they were going against right before they do it. Okay. That way there's no, I don't want them to talk to one another. I wanted it to be authentic. Yeah. So what they would do is if you and I were going against each other, we wouldn't know it till the day of. The teacher would flip a coin or what I did is I just put Nick Johnson at the top of the Google Docs. Oh, I see. Versus Eric Geis. Right. And I would put a P or a C next to their name, so pro and con. And then they would use that Google Doc. Everyone would spread out in the room. They would take their Chromebooks with them. And basically, 
they had a debate using a Google Doc. One student was uh, assigned a color, the other student was assigned a different color. That way I can easily differentiate between the two. Right. And then they would have a debate on paper. There's no yelling. They they still got a specific set of rules. Yeah. So, it, you know, there's no cursing, no personal attacks. That, you know, yeah, sure. that, that type Normal of nature. Stuff. And they would go at it. And, and then the next day, what I would do is I would say, okay, fracking, you're going to judge mountaintop mining. Mountaintop mining, mm. you have fracking. You have to read the debate and you have to pick a winner. All right. So the two colors were there, were there on the document, but I would erase who's who up at the top, and they would have to choose a winner based on what they argued. Yeah. And that would be it, and then they would give some their peers some feedback. Now, I always tell them that you don't worry about wins or loss, you worry about quality, because some yeah. of these topics are very hard to argue and win with. Sure. Well, that, this is great for the teacher that might be a little bit nervous about giving totally free reign for just a bunch of small groups and letting debates happen. If you think you've got a class that's easily sidetracked, this is an awesome way to maintain some of that control and at least get comfortable with uh, the debate uh, the debate environment in your classroom. So over the next couple of episodes, we're going to pick out certain certain uh, G Suite for Education tools, apps, and we're going to go over some of the ideas that we've experienced with them. So this week was Google Docs. Next week, we're going to tackle slides. Slides. That's going to be tough, but uh, actually that, actually, there's a lot of different cool stuff you can do there. So. And we're going to see some overlap, too. You could easily right. put a hyperdoc on a slide, that's, too, if you want. I was going to say, that's why it might be tough, because a lot of it could be the same, but then I started thinking... There are definitely some applications of slides different than Docs, so it should be interesting, and hopefully you guys find some um, ideas that you can use in your classroom today. You can follow Got Teched outside the podcast at gottech.com or on Twitter at WeGotTeched. Each month, Nick and I have a little addition to our uh, science supervisor's newsletter. This month, we're going to focus on augmented versus virtual reality applications. And it came to us by a question from one of the people that reads that blog. And their question was, what is the difference between virtual reality and augmented reality in education? So we're going to focus a little bit on that this week. It's not a call in, but it was emailed to us and they asked us to kind of go over this. So we thought we'd bring it to our podcast. We'll roll with it. Sure. It's an interesting question because first of all, I think there might be some teachers listening who maybe didn't even know that virtual reality and augmented reality had an educational role, uh, which they do. They're just starting to, let alone that there's a difference between those two terms. So I think we'll probably start just by clarifying how VR, virtual reality, is different from AR, augmented reality, so people know what we're talking about here. Yeah, so in, in virtual reality, we're actually taken somewhere. One of my favorite examples of this is Google Arts and Culture. The other day, I was watching uh, the Philadelphia Orchestra do their uh, rehearsal. Oh, yeah in Carnegie Hall and that was super cool and that's when you actually go somewhere else and you can kind of drift into their world a little bit there's museums out there that you could visit there's uh, I saw some with uh, baseball stadiums where you're standing on home plate and you can kind of go around in 360 I believe they even incorporated this in uh, Google Maps now right where what is it Google 360 option Google Cardboard is that where you put the 
little headset over around the phone, or is that something different? That's something different, but okay. that also fits into this uh, right. description. And then you got AR, augmented reality, where you are still in your physical classroom and you actually bring stuff into your classroom. For example, at the uh, beginning of the school year, there was a Google augmented reality Twitter post out there saying if your school is interested in doing augmented reality, piloting it or testing it out, please sign up. And our middle school actually signed up for it. And, and I, I was able to check that out a little bit. Uh, we, we looked at natural disasters such as hurricanes and uh, tornadoes and things like that. We looked at the skeletal system. We looked at the muscular system, cardiovascular system. I lifted up a globe and I actually lifted, I, I felt the weight of the world on my shoulders. <laughs> it was really cool. I didn't, I wasn't actually there for it, but I saw some of the pictures. Did they have, wear a headset for that or was it just on a screen, like a tablet screen? No, actually Google, the people from Google that came out with, uh, uh, came out and set this up, this whole experience up, came with these phones on a selfie stick. Okay. And as of May, I just read something, the end of May, which is pretty much now when we're uh, recording this, uh, yeah. Google AR has been released and you have to have a phone that has uh, the Tango platform. Oh. So it's on most uh, Google devices, but they, they say it's a Tango phone, but it's really a platform. So I'm guessing that we're going to be able to get it on any type of Android phone or any phone that is able to have Tango awesome. downloaded on it. And it's it was super cool. You had a selfie stick and you're walking around and all of a sudden, a tornado pops out of nowhere, and right. you can actually see the motion of it and kind of get a good look at it, and you're up close and personal. It's it's very cool. The one picture I saw, there was a student looking at the phone screen, and this is what really makes it count as augmented reality, is on the phone screen or tablet screen, you still see the room you're in, right? You still see the media center, but like suspended midair on the screen is you know a human body that shows the skeletal system or that shows all the, the arteries and the veins and then as, as the person viewing that you can get up close to it manipulated it I guess even touch it and move it around was that part of it too I mean like, can you, you interact can, with it at all you're or? not interacting okay. with it at least with our test right we weren't interacting it's probably somewhere where it's going to be going soon yeah yeah it was just a very neat experience because instead of looking at a picture of a heart and in a textbook or doing an animation on your computer, you can actually walk around it in 360. Right. And you could see the heart pump, all right? And you can kind of see where the blood's going out okay. and where the blood's going into the heart. As a teacher, I, I, I saw one of the science teachers that came to kind of with their class and kind of piloted this. I saw her pointing out like the ventricles of the heart, telling the difference between arteries and vessels and veins and right. all and all that stuff capillaries so it was it was just a neat experience it's like a picture i don't know something you would present up on the front of the screen in a classroom just on steroids because you can look at it, it's three-dimensional walk around it get right up close and it's new and it's new right and it's new none of those students have done anything like that before well most of them have done something Probably. like that with uh, pokemon go coming out last sure. summer uh, i mean true. that's technically ar right there right there's um that reminds me of another augmented reality thing that I didn't do but a colleague here at our school used this past year. Um, it's I believe the company is pronounced Dacry, uh, but it's spelled D A Q R I, all capital letters. If somebody wants to check it out or look them up online, they have a thing called Elements 4D, which is it's a physical product, so you have to buy them, as far as I understand. And it's a series of wooden cubes. They're actually they're actually really pretty wooden cubes, and there's things engraved and carved on each face of the cube. 
cube, uh, usually kind of just represented like each face has like one cube is for sodium so that's like sodium's cube and then there's a chlorine cube and it's got the symbol na they just look like a pretty little thing like a little sculpture you could buy but the cool part is if you download on your phone the elements 4d app and turn it on and then hold the screen in view of these cubes uh, that's where the augmented reality kicks in because the cube itself the phone like detects that it's looking at the cube and it kind of comes to life uh, the cubes become see-through uh, they start to glow as you spin the cube each face of the cube reveals different information about the element. Sometimes I think I saw there's even like one face of the cube that has like a little video embedded in it and you can interact with them because it's a physical object in real life. So you can pick them up and spin it in your hand and as you spin it in your hand you can see the different faces and each one has a different thing. I know they also just recently added a feature where if you take two cubes like you could take the sodium cube and the chlorine cube and if you put them next to each other the the app detects that too and automatically pops up with it labels that those two touching cubes with the compound that would be formed from those two so it would say like so it used to be sodium and chlorine when you touch them together now it the whole thing looks different and it's labeled as sodium chloride because that's the compound they form when you combine them so that's another really cool application of ar table salt Ta <laughs> you got it table that's right. table, table salt, salt. Uh, another one is called sketcher it's just sketch with ar okay. at the end of it now we got to be careful and, and i was we were kind of having a side conversation about this earlier there are certain programs that work better with apple running systems versus android running systems right and this is one that is better it got better reviews it works with the apple platform and that is sketcher and that allows someone to draw a picture say they drew a picture of a horse uh, they can use the app which will take that picture of the horse and it will plop it in the middle of the room oh, no way yeah so that's it, cool yeah it's pretty cool i want to do that so that that's another one that you can go check out and there's a lot of them nick mentioned google cardboard virtual reality that's uh that's another way there are plenty of headsets out there right different types of headsets the headsets are super cool. Another thing that I've been working on recently with ETS, that's the educational testing service. Most people know them as, uh, aren't they the creators of like the Praxis test? Yeah, for they, teachers yeah, and all that. All that stuff. They, they're One of their headquarters is actually nearby uh, where Eric and I work. So they, they reach out to a lot of the local school districts for teachers to be involved with different projects. And one of them is actually a virtual reality classroom. And it's, it's designed for pre-service teachers. So if you're in school, you know, learning to be a teacher and you want to get practice interacting with a real classroom of students, you can use this virtual reality classroom. It sounds weird, but I actually did get the opportunity to try it myself. You just stand in front of a screen, like a big screen TV, and they mic you up because you can talk to the students in the classroom. The you know it's a, it's a small classroom. It's only five students, and I think they're fourth graders, and they're just staring back at you, and you can talk to them. You can ask them to do stuff. You can speak to them one at a time. So is it real students? No, it's 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 literally a virtual classroom. I know it sounds... Do they answer back? They answer back. Yep. You can tell them to... So they're smart. They Yeah. You can tell them to do a think-pair-share, and they know what that is, just like a regular, like a real student would know what to do. And, and the whole thing was designed to let, like I said, pre-service teachers practice. This particular one was for discussions, running a classroom discussion, so you can practice doing that without... The interruption of going to a real teacher's classroom, which of course costs time and is a big hassle. That that is really cool. It's crazy. It's that so is crazy. Really cool. <laughs> now, can the teachers, like the professors of these pre-service to teachers, mess with them a little bit and say, "Hey, little Johnny here has uh, behavior issues," yep. and and 
kind of make him be an extra, yep. you know, needy. Absolutely. You know, in needs of a special attention. Yeah, that's how the whole technology started, actually, was just for classroom management, because I guess at the beginning, that's a little bit easier. So it was literally just, you know, the students in the class would act out, and then you would have to respond in ways that would be good or not so good. But I guess as the technology has gotten more advanced, they can actually classroom discussions with them. It's pretty weird. That, that is out of this world. It's crazy. So I'm just thinking, and I, tangents, that's what I do. Yeah, sure. I just go off on random tangents. One of my go-to ways of getting uh, kids that need trouble refocusing, I would give them a pass and send them down to the office to yeah. get me a box of tissues or something for the classroom. You know, just uh, kind of refocus them. Is that part of the simulation? Yeah, there, there's limitations. Like, they, don't, they won't leave their seats. They have to stay seated. So anything you would ask them to do where they get up and move around, they can't do. But if you want them in groups, you can say that, but they just turn to whoever's right next to them. Like, there's certain, there are limits to it. And I know... It's actually a company out of Florida that designs these things. And I know that when you're in the simulation, they do have one human being behind the whole classroom that kind of manages when you have weird requests like that uh, to kind of allow them to interact because I think the technology's not there where it can totally be artificial intelligence driven yet. So there is like one human behind the whole thing that kind of helps with weird scenarios like that. So this pretty much... I know some of our pre-service teachers with some of the districts around here, they do not allow videotaping in the classroom at all. Right. So this would kind of help those teachers meet the requirement of getting observed without recording them in the classroom. Yeah, that's the whole point is letting you practice and sort of get comfortable interacting with kids without actually having to do it and knowing, okay, I messed up that 10-minute discussion. Let's restart and do it again. And you just kind of can have unlimited trials at doing this thing. So it's, it's pretty cool. I got two words for you. Mind blown. It's pretty wild. So there's some really cool stuff out there. Did we uh, did we miss anything on the VR or AR side, do you think? No, I think if we just look at it, VR is you going to a different place and right. making that experience versus AR is bringing the experience to you and your, your own surroundings. All right. So hopefully you guys got some cool ideas and maybe you'll see some of this stuff come to your classrooms pretty soon. So Eric and I thought it would be kind of fun for our third segment of the episode to bring back a game. Uh, we always used to play this in high school and college called Two Truths and a Lie. Did you do that one too? Or was oh, that yeah, just... we did that. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I know I'm older than you, but I'm not that much older than you. If you don't know, Two Truths and a Lie, it's, it was pretty fun. Uh, so I, one person says, makes three statements, and the person in or people you're making them to has to figure out which of those is the lie. And it's, it's pretty simple, but it's a good time. So we thought we would do that with some educational news stories, some weird educational news stories that I researched. Eric has no idea what I'm about to throw out there. So what I'm going to do is read him three news story titles, and he's going to have to think about them and try and guess from the title uh, which one, which two are the truths and which one is the lie. Are you prepared for this, sir? I mean, usually uh, most of your dialogue has to do with narwhals, chemistry, and that's pretty much, or burrito types. Yeah, You yeah. do like burritos. That's going to make it even more confusing because you're going to have no idea. I mean, this could go anywhere. Can, do I need to 
look away from you or can I look yeah, at Because right I think me. I'm a pretty good judge of character. Actually. You yeah. kind of curl your upper lip when you're lying. Yeah. You are. You have an extreme talent for guessing whether <laughs> the truth or predicting predicting things. So this might actually be easier for you than I thought. But who, who knows? I might, I might be able to get it over on you this time. And then afterwards, once Eric makes his picks, we'll talk about each of the articles because most of these things are actually pretty cool. So uh, if you're ready. Let's fire away. All right. First title. Alcohol boosts recall of earlier learning. Okay, let that sink in. Do you need me to repeat it? No, I'm good. Second title, controlling memory through brain waves during sleep. What about it? I mean, there's you're not really telling me anything. Oh, that's I don't know what to tell you, bro. That's the title. So I have to determine whether controlling memory through brain waves during sleep actually happens. Yes, or sir. Not. Okay. And lastly, does bright light make us dumber? All right. So two of those things are completely 100% true, read word for word from my source. One of them is completely false. Let's do, let's do a really quick recap of all those, let you collect your thoughts. Alcohol boosts recall of earlier learning, controlling memory through brain waves during sleep, and does bright light make us dumber? Well, where'd you get these from, by the way? I don't I don't think I can reveal that right away. So you're going to reveal that later? It'll I guess so. It'll be in the show notes? Actually, I'll tell you. It'll be in the show notes. It's uh, sciencedaily.com. has like a weird education news segment, which, by the way, is really fascinating. I think they release on like a bi-weekly basis. That's but pretty cool. It is cool. I will I'll... tell you right now, I'm pretty confident on one of them is being a truth, and okay. that's alcohol boost recall of learning. However you said it. Yeah, sure. So that, that actually is one of the true stories. Alcohol boosts recall of earlier learning, which is, I don't know how you knew that, because for sure I would have thought that would be the false one uh, out of all those three. It just sounds like completely opposite. Which I had true. a professor in college that would always say, hey, have fun this weekend, but not too much fun. You'll be smarter at the end. I get- and that's... <laughs> That's just how I took it. Right. I didn't know if he what he was really talking about. I just remember him saying that. And he was a pretty smart guy. Yeah, he must have known what he was talking about. Here's the little tagline. We won't get too deep into this, but it does say drinking alcohol improves memory for information learned before the drinking episode began, according to research involving 88 social drinkers uh, at a university in, it says the University of Exeter. I'm not sure where that is, but that's pretty wild. You'd think it would be the opposite. Well, we're first of all, it's a social, social drinking. Right. Yeah. So we're not so talking about like we're heavy, not condoning. Can we? <laughs> do we start suggesting this as a study technique for our high school kids? Definitely not. Definitely not. The actual, the actual. Like I said, these are from ScienceDaily.com. The actual study that this my source referenced um, is from. Let's see. There's a bunch of authors. Uh, it's a journal called Scientific Reports. The original title was Improved Memory for Information Learnt. L-E-A-R-N-T, learnt before alcohol use in social drinkers. So I guess that's the real deal. All right. Here you go. The la- So you got two left. Controlling memory through brainwaves during sleep. And does bright light make us dumber? One of those is a lie. Well, I'll, I'll tell you this much. I, I'm still baffled by the second one. I'm it's still weird. trying to figure out if that's an actual statement that I could say true or false to in my head. <laughs> um, but... Does bright light make us dumber? Right. I'm going to guess that that one, if it's saying bright light makes us dumber, yeah, I'll probably say that one is false. And this is the only reason. I don't really have a good reason. (laughs) 
you just feel it. Well, it, it, it's kind of like this. We're going through a referendum right now, and we're putting in all these dimming lights, and I could see the advantages are the lights go down, you could watch a movie. The lights go up, but here's the thing. For the last 30 years plus, schools have had electrical lights that are bright. Right. They weren't, they weren't dim, and we did okay. I don't know if this is good reasoning, but that's my reasoning. I think that's false. So you you think you're going with the light one is the false story? Yeah, I don't think I don't think light will yeah it could help or hurt somebody if they're suffering from migraines or something. But I'm, I'm thinking that's false. You people have to understand something about Eric Geis. I've been working with this guy for a long time. He has an uncanny. I don't know if you're okay with me sharing this. Right, I'm gonna okay. throw it out there. An uncanny ability to predict events occurrences, things that are going to happen if uh, if one of our colleagues gets pregnant and is going to go out on maternity leave. He's the first one to know. Nobody has to tell him. The guy has some kind of weird sixth sense. And the weird part is, if you ever ask him to explain how he knows these things, his reasoning is completely ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it is bonkers. <laughs> but it works. That's the, that is the false story. I don't know how you do it every I, time. I remember one of her female colleagues, she was five days pregnant when I predicted yep. it. It's I folded w- it up into a little piece of paper. Yep. I handed it to you. Put it in an envelope. And I told you to open it up like six months later, right? Ten so, months later. Yeah, I don't know. Super long time. And we, we did. And he had the prediction. I was, was actually like a week off. And uh, we, sealed, we sealed up the envelope. It was, you know, we licked it and taped it up. You couldn't have snuck anything in there. And you had it the whole time. Yep. It was pinned to my board. So I don't know. I, well, am I right or am I wrong? You're right, dude. That's it's unbelievable. So uh, the, the actual it is a real story, um, but it's not bright light. The official title is is, does dim light make us dumber? This is uh, from Michigan State University. It says that spending too much time in dimly lit rooms and offices may actually damage or change the brain's structure and hurt your ability to remember and learn. There's some type of some type of neuron structure in the brains that dim light, not bright light, it causes damage and makes it harder to remember things. Now let me let me just throw this out. You're taking a test in dim light. Right. All right. Say it's an hour and a half long. By 40 minutes in, you're ready for a nap, right? That's, that's true, man. I'm ready for a nap just taking a regular test in regular lighting Yeah. after 40 minutes. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's a no-brainer. I guess so. It may, I, when you put it that way, it does kind of make some sense, but I thought that one was interesting. The other, the last story, then the, the memory one, which did seem to confuse you. I, I got it. That's kind of a strange title. It doesn't really make sense to me either. Here's uh, what it means is uh, that you don't just absorb information during the day when you're consciously thinking, uh, interacting, and viewing things. It Let's see. The, it says here that while we absorb so much information during the day, consciously or unconsciously, it is during shut eye that that a lot of facts are dispatched to be filed away or fall into oblivion. So I guess like while you're sleeping, that's when your brain like packages and kind of puts all the memories where they're supposed to be. And it says a good quality sleep is the best way to feel mentally refreshed and memorize new information. But how is the brain working while we sleep? Could we improve the process to remember more or even use it to forget unwanted memories? So what they did was, I believe they are using formulated brain waves from an outside source. That's next level stuff. This is is above our pay grade. I will tell you this. They should do a new study. They should have a collection of college kids pull all-nighters before finals. There you go. And they should have a collection of college kids study hard for four hours, take a nap, and then go in and take their tests. Everything else is the same. So the right. the amount of sleep is your manipulated variable. See who does better. I like, like it. Compare it to their 
their test averages throughout yeah. the uh, the semester. I th- I think there's something there. Let's start it up. So hopefully everybody uh, got some weird educational news out of that, some cool things that are going on in the research world. If you want to check these out, we'll have the link in the show notes, but it's all sciencedaily.com. It's time for the Tick Battle Royale! And we're back for another Tech Battle Royale where Nicholas Johnson slayed the giant in me the last time we were out. I think I'm coming back. I don't know if you can win back to back. I mean, we tied one, you won one, and we're going to go at it again, and uh, we're just going to go right to it. I mean, you're going to say some of the categories that we have, and then I'm going to give the old uh, Tech Battle Royale wheel of categories sure so i yeah i think people get the gist by now we're going to argue against each other within a category which could be either google add-ons or extensions student-centered learning personalized learning video and picture fun and games history research spinner's choice teacher favorites or student favorites so why don't we uh get started by spinning the wheel to see what happens i'll spin the wheel since you uh gave me an education last time yep here we go All right, what do we got? Looks like we got video and picture. Ooh, that's a really interesting one. We do a lot of stuff uh, with videos, both creating them and having students create them. The picture part, I think, is what I'm going to play off of for this round. Yeah, I think this is a very broad category because are we creating videos? Could be. Using pictures? Could be. Are we annotating? Like, what are we doing here? Could be whatever you want. I think that's the beautiful part. Do you want to throw, do you have a pick ready for that? Do you want to go first? It's your call because you won last week. That's true. I think, yeah, I think I'm going to let you go first. Very nice of you. Early April, there was a big talk over uh, Twitter about one of our favorite technology tools in Padlet going to subscription-based. Uh, that's I, One of the things we try and do all the time here is bring free stuff whenever possible. So that's to me, that's usually bad news. Yeah, but to me... Padlet is an amazing tool, and yeah. they deserve to be paid. They're doing a lot of stuff. They keep it current. They keep us uh, changed up a lot. So uh, we have to respect that. I, I I know if I made a tech tool, I'd definitely respect that. That's true. Yeah. I mean, sometimes if they if they start providing a service that is that worth it, I guess it's uh, that's okay. So my actual selection this week is coming up with an alternative to Padlet. Okay. And uh, this was brought to me in a question form from a teacher saying, I use Padlet all the time, but I am not willing to pay for a subscription. What else can I use? Right. I was like, let me do some homework. I could, you know, try to figure it out a little bit. And the one tech tool that I found is called Lino, L-I-N-O. The link will be down in the show notes, but Lino is pretty much as close to Padlet as I can seem to get. You have a canvas. You're able to manipulate that canvas. You could add uh, photos, videos. Mm-hmm. They could watch these videos right on the, the canvas. So you picture a corkboard and you putting sticky notes up on the corkboard. Okay. One sticky note might be the three things students have to do today. And another might be the videos that they have to watch. And another sticky note could be the questions, the open-ended questions, the discussion questions that they have to do. And the last one might be guidance to some form of reflection. So you can post videos, you could post pictures, you could post uh, discussion questions, all this stuff goes on there. And the beauty of it is you do not need to pay. 
There's a free account that you could use. You could send links out to the students. Uh, however, if you want a private group uh, setting, you must have your students make an account using their email. Now, this isn't the all be all, but I know some school districts don't want their students to be using their email accounts to sign up for a whole bunch of different accounts. So that could throw a loop in it, but I will tell you just by a teacher sharing the link for the sticky note canvas blackboard thingy, yeah. uh, that is a huge benefit because really who's going to want to manipulate canvas on Lino that isn't for that class. Right. So they don't, the students don't have to sign up for anything that you just share out the link for what you created. Yeah. So the teacher will make whatever they want to do that day. Yeah. They'll post it, the link through their LMS or whatever they're using, whether it's Google Classroom on course or whatever. Sure. The students will go access it, and uh, as they start to complete these tasks, they could pull the post-its off the canvas and kind of keep tabs of everything. Oh, that's cool. They can, like, remove the post-its once they've done the thing? Yes. That's pretty awesome. So um, I'm going to say that's a, that's a pretty good... Uh, that's a strong choice. ...alternative to Padlet. Why can't I just use, like, a real... Uh, this is my usual rebuttal I guess but can I just put like a real cork board or a real bulletin board or what is this fake one doing for me well it allows the classroom to not be restricted to the walls the brick and mortar I, right I feel like that is in everything now when true. we describe blended learning yeah no that's that's true all right so that's a pretty good one mine I mine, this is actually a good competition because mine is pretty similar and I know mine is one of the big at least as far as I understand it this is one of the uh, bigger ed tech services that are out there it's called ThingLink, all one word thing and link. You can find them at thinglink.com. The gist of ThingLink is as a teacher, you get to upload an image of your choosing, which I think might be how I beat you here. I'm not sure how Lino does this, but in ThingLink, you can upload whatever image you want. So some of the classic examples are um, a picture of a room, like some sort of a, a school room or, or a library in the school is like the classic example. You can upload a picture of a map. You can upload a picture of a forest, some kind of diagram straight out of a textbook. There's even a way to do 360 degree images, kind of like with uh, one of the uh, Google Map features we talked about where you can click and drag like in uh, street view of Google Maps, click and drag and move around. And within that image, you get to annotate certain areas and make them clickable. So you get to drop in like little bubbles, little pins or, or other smaller shapes. And the students are then directed to click on those. And as they click on them, it, it, it's basically a link that sort of brings up like sort of like a little pop-up bubble where they can find other information. So I'm looking at one right now. That's a, it's supposed to be a school tour. It's a, like a 360 degree image of a library. And as you click and move around, there's very clearly outlined little circles that I can click on. And when I click on those, it gives me information about what's there. Uh, it can provide links to uh, videos or other resources relating back to that. My favorite part about ThingLink is that it's, ex it's extremely like visually entertaining. So the stuff looks cool. It looks fun. It looks engaging. There's another one one of their big examples is a map. This particular one they have on the website is a map of Africa. And the different areas are different, these little numbers, numbered circles. And when you hover over them, a little annotation bubble pops up and it gives me some text to read, all kinds of different information. And it's kind of like so many of the things we talk about. It's just sort of like bringing an image to life. What would otherwise just be sort of flattened out on a textbook page. Now I can click, I can move through it, I can interact with it, move at whatever pace I need to. It's it's visual. It goes, you know, like you said with yours, it breaks breaks the boundaries of the classroom because I can access it anywhere, anytime. ThingLink is is really 
really an amazing or an amazing tool. It seems like I, I had no clue that you could do a 360 image. Yeah, the 360 is cool. I wish I knew. I've just never done it. I wish I knew how you could upload a 360 image of your choice. I guess you can't because nobody had like no normal camera. Well, you could probably do a 360 panoramic yeah, on your phone and, that's true. and upload that. Or, and there are a lot of uh, 360 files out there now. That's probably what these are. I bet Thinglink probably has like a library of 360 degree. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at it right now, actually. Yeah, they have, okay, so they have a library of pre-made 360 degree images. Looks like there's some that are like different habitats. So if you're trying to teach a lesson on different biomes, you can just pull up one of those, have your students pan around inside one of those different habitats and click on different things within it to learn about them. Super cool. Wow, they have tons of stuff. Northern lights, whitewater tubing in Indonesia, skate parks. You could tie that to a physics class. I feel like you're a little ahead of me right now. <laughs> I, I just really got to say that I got to say, it. I want to come back with Leno again because sure. there's a feature where a teacher can start a board. Oh, okay. And then students can add stickies to that board. So I want you to think about uh, an open ended question. Say students just got done watching a video. Right. Or the video is their homework. And then when they came in, you ask them, a question or maybe four questions and sure. you color coordinate those so the yellow question they the students would have to post a yellow question like their answer to that yellow question in a yellow sticky yeah where the second question is blue and they would have to post that and then the students can all go through those uh stickies and kind of see everybody's answer without having to worry about being judged because they're sticky notes and they don't have their names on it that's pretty cool that is definitely an interesting feature is one of the backgrounds in lino the inside of an old-fashioned train car in spain though uh, that would be a negative. Is uh, is one of the available backgrounds in Lino the bear kitchen in the United Kingdom? It's also a negative. That's a, that's a negative. Do you even know what a bear kitchen is? I think it's a the place where bears like use their honey to make <laughs> cookies. <laughs> I probably I don't know what a bear kitchen is either, but it looks pretty cool. I can click on it and find out, and I can have my students find out. I like the multiple editing thing you just mentioned, but I feel like just the visual appeal of some of these is going to be a stronger force. Um, besides the fact that uh, they these guys actually do a, a, probably a lot of the same things. I think mine just might do it in a little bit more of an interesting way. So you think you actually won this one? I'm not backing down here. I'd start mostly because, and I, I would probably be prepared to, but this 360 thing, which I'm just learning about myself, this is blowing my mind. It's super cool. Alright, well, I'm going to tell you this right now. I think mine's the better tool. And uh, I'm going to also throw this out. I don't like when we tie. So call it in the air, Nick. Heads uh, or tails? Yeah, I'm going uh, tails on this one. Oh, tails never fails. That's what I would have picked, too. Here we go. It's up in the air. It's down. Ah, uh, it's tails. Back-to-back -back wins. How do you feel about back-to-back -back losses? Ah, uh, you know, two negatives equal a positive in math. That's how I'm going to look at it. Whatever gets you to sleep at night. As we begin to close out the school year, Geis and I like to reflect on all the amazing technological tools available to teachers today, and we encourage you to do the same. What exciting things have you tried to enhance your teaching? How do they work? Will you try them again next year, and what will you change? This reflection is one of the most valuable things that an educator can do, and we hope that you all have a chance to engage in that process before summer begins. Socrates once said that the unexamined life is not worth living. While this language is probably a little bit too strong for our purposes here on the Got Tech Podcast, its message holds up. 
Perhaps, in a similar way, the unexamined lesson is not worth teaching. That concludes today's episode. Thank you very much for listening to Got Tech, the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at WeGotTech or follow along on our website, gottech.com. Until next time.